Okay, everybody, welcome to the Musical Splaining Podcast. I am your host, Kava Teherian. And I'm Lindsay Ellis. And we are here today to talk about a musical. Our king. <laughs> Our recently deceased king. Yeah. We decided to go against... I shouldn't say go against, but we decided to break our well, rules. Well, I mean, a little here's the thing: because this, yeah, I mean, like the thing about the rules is, I feel like people are getting confused because we keep getting uh, bad recommendations. Um, <laughs> it, you know, people will be like, "Oh, do Little Shop of Horrors," or "Oh, do Hairspray," or "Mean Girls," uh, because they think musicals based on movies, and it's like, no, that wasn't. It was musicals that started as movies. By which we mean stuff like, you know, La La Land and Moulin Rouge or, um, you know, Phantom of the Paradise. Musicals that began their musical life as movies first, like Mary Poppins or basically every Disney movie. Yes. Um, You know, you have stuff that like uh, Little Shop of Horrors, which was a movie and then a stage musical and then a movie musical. uh, That does not count. That said, uh, we are... Totally breaking yeah. every rule today by looking at the 1965 <laughs> film adaptation of The Sound of Music. Just to uh, further confuse everybody, basically. Yeah, just to confuse it further. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this is kind of something I kind of wanted to do because I'm like, I didn't, I really didn't have any interest in the stage version of The Sound of Music. It seems almost sacrilege to have one, honestly, considering that this film exists. That Yeah, this film is so beloved. And, yeah. Uh, uh, Julie Andrews and Christopher Plummer, who I, I was thinking it was like, it's kind of wild that, you know, both of them were still alive up until pretty recently. Yeah, it's crazy. Considering this movie is 50 years old, almost 50 years old. Yeah, it's wild. What was your relationship to it growing up? Um, I had a taped version of it. And, you know, it's funny because I remember to my memory, it was like the longest thing. <laughs> um, and it's only like two hours, you know, it's like. <laughs> is it really only two hours? Yeah. I also thought it was like three hours or some shit. No, let me check. I think it might be it's like 2.15. Which uh, when you're a kid, though, that's like the longest movie ever because everything's under 90 minutes. Yeah. You're used to like Disney movies, which top out or used to top out around 90 minutes. Yeah. Uh, actually, no, I was wrong. It is 174 minutes, so it's almost three hours. Oh, it is. Okay, yeah. yeah so it wasn't so, totally. Yeah, it's like a Bollywood movie. Our sense of um, time is not that warped. Yeah, so our sense of time, I mean, it is now. Oh, true. Now it is, but <laughs> yeah. in relation to the movie. Yeah, yeah. So I had, we had like, a, you know, it was filming on CBS. So like we recorded it <laughs> off of CBS. Yes. So I had like, you know, I had like, you know, the commercial breaks, Ooh. like t- attempted to cut out. So there would be, you know, like, you know, Mentos, you know, and cut off halfway. <laughs> and then we, you know, missed the first like 30 seconds after the, uh, you know, after the movie started yep. back. I remember this very fondly as part of that era which is it's weird because this no longer is a thing right this is peak we're old people which i say that every episode but this in particular makes me feel old. boomer peak boomer which is like remember there used there was like a couple of movies that were just always on tv one of them was sound of music Mm -hmm. the other was wizard of oz and then it was like mary poppins i feel like those three movies were just like constantly on loop when we were kids because there was only like there's certain movies that like i never owned but i feel like i've seen a million times this was one of them i'm like i i'm i'm positive we owned it i don't remember owning it but i do just remember seeing it all the time yeah we we, were like so cheap that we didn't even have the the vhs version we had the taped off cbs (laughs) version oh we were all about the taped off of of television that was like our whole shit that was our jam which is kind of a shame because actually I rewatched this last year uh, to see if it still holds up and IMHO it, it like I, I think I actually like it better as an adult now that I have an attention span that's awesome um, but it also is sort of like oh I, I feel like 
I was missing out on a lot because it is very beautifully shot. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they most of it is shot on location in Austria. So, you know, you didn't get the widescreen of your like CBS. <laughs> like, not that you'd appreciate oh, that. Oh, yeah, you're right. Kid. That's true. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> it's just like you have the four by three. Skin. And then it's like that much like degraded because it was taped off oh. of CBS in 1994. <laughs> Holy shit. So in that case, I actually haven't really truly ever seen The Sound of Music. By that yeah, and I think like yeah. I mean, this was another thing we did back in the before times. Uh, <laughs> I mean, not you and I personally, but just like you know, those of us who live in LA, you know, sometimes they would do, or actually very often they'll do like seventy millimeter screenings yeah. of stuff like you know this or you know Lawrence of Lawrence of Arabia was the one the most recent yes. one I saw. I saw the seventy millimeter. I saw the version. seventy mil of that too. It's fantastic. Yeah, so this is kind of one of those that, like, I, f I feel like it kind of merits it. Although, you know, a, a decently sized HDTV would be close enough. I think they also do, if I remember correctly, I think my sister took my niece to, like, a sing-along at the Hollywood Bowl a few years ago of it. Oh, yeah? Which apparently was very cute, but she fell oh asleep because she was really little. Total but... non sequitur, but somebody yeah. said that they saw Psycho at the Hollywood Bowl Whoa. with the live orchestra. That sounds intense. I was like, oh, my God, I'm so jealous. <laughs> I miss the Hollywood Bowl, man. That's the first thing I think of, like, when I'm like, when we go back, which, which will never happen. Play games. But, yeah. Um, that's like one of the treasures. Like I hate LA. Everyone hates LA who lives in here, but Hollywood Bowl is like I don't hate across LA. the board is the best. I mean, hating on LA, not like hate, hate LA, but shitting on hey, LA. I, I think I was like, I think that was a phase I went through and now I'm over it. I just accept know? that I li I'm, I'm now from here, which is very weird for me to say, but I've lived yeah. here longer consistently than anything else at this point. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess that's true. I guess I'm still of New York in that case, but, you know, give me another five, ten, I don't know, yeah. fuck time. Although, <laughs> another funny story for the Hollywood Bowl, we saw, I don't remember what the fuck the concert was, because you can get cheap tickets there. You can get tickets for like 20-something bucks and get like would you, would you like to Would you like to explain to the, oh, the non-urbanite <laughs> infants out there? Uh, <laughs> what is it? The West Coast elites with their, yeah. yeah. <laughs> So, so the Hollywood Bowl is a fantastic venue in Hollywood that's like a giant amphitheater and this is like an outdoor theater and it's like nestled in the hills and it's fantastic and most of the shows that you can that you go to you can bring booze in so you can just like have a little picnic and bring in all your food and like eat and drink and have a jolly old time uh, and you can get pretty cheap tickets like 25 30 bucks and you're sitting in the way back but if you're just like coming with a bottle of wine and hanging out you'll you're much more willing to go see shows that are like, whatever, even if you don't like super care about it, you'll go. But I remember Sarah and I went and saw, I, I honestly do not even remember what the context of it, of what it was. It was just some random like mishmash of like random performers. And for some reason of the performers, the the concert was like, okay, now we're going to have the kids, the great grandkids of the real Von Trapp family come out and like oh. sing on stage for some reason. I need to ask Sarah for cool. the second part of this. <laughs> the, the Von Trapp the third yeah it was like von trap the third and they came out and sang and they did a really good job and it was it was very random and and i think kai rizdahl was there from npr or oh, yeah. somebody from That's npr my, was there. my fourth favorite NPR <laughs> personality <laughs> anyway it just goes to show you what like a random night in la can be like you can go see your singer or somebody from npr like singing with the von trap great grandkids <laughs> that's the kind of night that the hollywood bowl will provide it's great Anyway, moving on. Sound of music stats. <laughs> Sound Do of music it. stats. Tell us about the Vat Von Trapp family. So there are, there are two backstories. Backstory one: the Trapp family is that like our nickname for them? Is the Traps? 
No, they they changed their they they called themselves the Trap Family once they uh, moved here. Oh, really? Because um, they didn't want to sound too German. Uh, interesting. Um, you know, because that was actually uh, you know that was a really big thing in World War One where people would change their names. That's actually why the Trumps are called the Trumps instead uh, of Trump. Yeah, because like the anti-German sentiment, like uh. you know, people people were like, oh, you know, they did it sound cooler. Like that's not actually true, but you know, what, <laughs> what are you, if you if you want to tell yourself that, cool, whatever. Uh, but yeah, it's because they they didn't want to be. I mean, everybody knew, but like you know, people would be more likely to give them a chance, uh, especially German Americans, because there's a shit million of those, and you know, then they'd you know, have their tragic backstory about, you know, oh, we fled Nazi Germany and now we have our quaint little Austrian, like, dirndls that we sing in. <laughs> dirndls. I so, love dirndls. I own two. I literally have two dirndls. Okay. All right. Well, the, tr- the, the former <laughs> Trap family, I'm sorry, the former Von Trap family became the Trap family. The real life family made famous by Rogers and Hammerstein's Broadway musical, The Sound of Music. Former naval commander... George von Trapp, or is it Georg? Is it Georg? Okay, it's yeah, not Georg. George. Oh, Georg. Okay, Georg well, von Trapp. You can call Trapp. him George. Just the George. English. You might. They might have called him George once we moved here. Is that even? Know. Is that even whitewashing him because he's German? I mean, I guess it's that's it's England washing. Englishing him. him. Yeah, uh, Georg von Trapp had seven children by his first wife, Agatha Whitehead. Maria was twenty-five years Georg's junior. Maria was a school teacher at the Abbey and taught only one of Captain VT's kids. <laughs> For a second, I was like, Captain Crunch? He's, like, he's, gonna, he's gonna read this phonetically, I guess. Every time, it's like walking into a landmine, and I'm never prepared. I never learn. Captain VT, I Captain should, I should, like, I should, like, put something in there, like, I'm really literally problematic. F- I'm fucking, yeah, what's his name? We're just like, yeah. Captain Von Trapp, Beyonce sucks. Wait, what? Yeah. Like, no, I'm straight up fucking Ron Burgundy. I'll just be like, go fuck yourself, San Diego. Like, I'll just, I will 100% do that. Uh, Captain Von Trapp's kids, eventually no tutoring all of them. <laughs> so, yes. Uh, the cat. <laughs> I can't not laugh yeah, at I'm just Captain. plotting. Yeah, now I'm just plotting what I'm going to like <laughs> sneak in there next week. Captain Georg loved how much she cared for his children and asked her to marry him. She did indeed, kind of like Don Draper did in Mad Men. You watched Mad Men, yes? I haven't watched. Oh, okay. Well, anyway, it's like what Megan, what happened with Megan? Uh, Captain loved how much she cared for his children and asked her to marry him. She did indeed run screaming back to the Abbey and mother superior did do the, Hey, maybe it's God's will thing. And so they got married and they had three more kids together. Ooh, shit. This is a grand total of 10. Yep. God they, damn. Had a, they had an entire choir. God damn. Which, I mean, that's what I'd be like, well, shit, we got a choir. You yeah, know, here's the sopranos, the basses, the tenors. <laughs> that's a good, a solid it's Just band. economical, yeah. Uh, the family achieved fame in Austria pre World War II before fleeing Austria after the Aukenschluss? Anschluss? Anschluss. 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 They were not fans of the Nazis. What kind of polyglot are you? Yeah, I know, seriously. No, my, my German is very bad, unfortunately. I only know a tiny, tiny bit. Uh, they were not fans of the Nazis, which is good, which these days is a plus because that's yeah. like not a thing. These days, see. that's not a given. Yeah, that's not a given. <laughs> we now live in a world where mm. <laughs> that's no longer a given. Yeah. That's no longer a given. 
uh, and didn't. Because I kind of feel like we need to retire Godwin's Law, by the way, you know, because it's like, you know, the second you bring Nazis into it, you've lost the argument. And it's just like, if, if we just, if it's just a common occurrence in the, in the world yeah. now, uh, you know, maybe that doesn't, re- that, that doesn't hold water anymore. I think, because I think the actual Godwin was like, we need to retire this because there are um, real mm-hmm. Nazis that we can, we can point to and be like, there. You know, I have to say, I do remember this as a side note, like as a kid watching movies with Nazis, right? And conceptually just being like, I can't, like just not being able to wrap my head around how Nazis would even exist or like how, and now you're just sort of like, oh, that's how it happens. Well, I think that is kind of a disservice. I mean, I guess this is actually kind of one thing to the Sound of Music's credit where like, you know, the love interest for Liesl is a Nazi or becomes one. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he's this cute little boy. And then eventually he falls in with the wrong crowd and, you know, gets Nazi. Radicalized. Yeah. By YouTube, um, right? That was around in the 1940s. Yeah, he started watching like, (laughs) first he started watching like some video game content and then eventually. Joe Rogan podcast. And and then eventually they started talking about the feminist. And before that, (laughs) there's the Jewish question. And then you just, he's going on and on about white genocide. There it goes. Yeah. Anyway. Um. Yeah. I I really feel like the problem, I think it's more on, on the Spielbergs of the world. Because this was before the era where Nazis were portrayed as like uber demons, mm-hmm. you know, an evil that we can't even comprehend, you know. Yeah. Movies like, I mean, Star Wars kind of did that, like in the coding. And yeah. then, you know, Spielberg did it too. And, you know, I think there was this attitude that like, well, that was such a horrifying thing that happened, that Holocaust that now we don't even agree that it happened. Um, Fucking crazy. That like... Th- there was no danger of it happening again. So there wasn't really anything kind of inherently weird about portraying Nazis as like uber demons with no humanity. Yeah. And so when the fascism came back in a big, meaningful way, and I saw this all the time, you know, especially like in 2016, mm-hmm. you know, you'd call people like fascists, like Donald Trump is a fascist yeah. by every meaningful, you know, <laughs> every meaningful definition of the word. Um, and people, you know, just were raised on this diet of like Nazis is like stealing the Ark of the Covenant and wanting to control <laughs> God and shit like that. Right. That they just could not. It's cartoony they were just like, almost. No, yeah. It's yeah. like they had this cartoon v- vision of Nazis in their head that they just could not understand how, you know, like, you know, Donald Trump doesn't look like a Nazi, therefore he can't be a fascist. And so it's like, it's almost kind of having to deprogram, like, you know, decades of, like, Nazis as super villains. Honestly, you know, And and you actually didn't really see that in the early 60s. In the early 60s, it was, it was, they were trying to figure it out, like, how to reckon with the Holocaust. Yeah, and, like, how to portray it, because it still wasn't super, it wasn't super common yet. Yeah. In in terms of, like, a subject to make movies about. Um, But, yeah, it's, uh, it, it is interesting how, like, even since 1965, like, there's just, you know... In, in like in the 90s we just could not understand how this happened and so yeah. we just assumed that there was like something inherent about the german people right like right. there's just something evil about them yeah well so these people were not fans of the nazis thankfully and they did inf- mm-hmm. indeed flee to italy when georg was intru- was inducted into the german navy eventually they ended up in the united states changing their name to the trap family to sound less german Heinrich Himmler moved into their abandoned house. Sad face. That's a bummer. <laughs> I was like, that's a bummer. Yeah, I was like, way to ruin it, Himmler. <laughs> Fucking piece of shit. Yeah, normally he's such a, he's such a chill dude. Ugh, like, disgusting. Uh, Maria survived Georg by 40 years. Jesus. 
Uh, and most of the U.S. side singing career was after Georg's death. Interesting. Backstory 2, the sequel to Backstory 1. <laughs> uh, I guess this was based on the 1949 book of Story of the Trap Family Singers by Baroness Maria Augusta von Trapp. Yeah, she's a bar- she got Baroness. All right. How do you get Baroness anyway? You just, marry a Baron. You just marry a Baron, that's it? <laughs> yeah. There's yeah, no you like can't... knight ceremony or something where you get like the no, sword you, on your you shoulders? No, or... Like it's hereditary. I don't think... Uh, at least, I, I'm not sure. I think there, there used to be a thing, like it depends on what country you're in, mm-hmm. but I'm pretty sure there used to be a thing where you could buy titles. Pretty sure that's not a thing anymore since titles are just kind of being phased out. It's true. It's not the best. Uh, written by Richard Rogers and Oscar Hammerstein II, The Sound of Music was the last musical written by Rogers, oh, I, written by Rogers and Hammerstein. I didn't know that. Not that I would fucking know, but <laughs> so this is that's interesting that this was yeah, their it's the end of an era. Uh, I mean, The Sound of Music was the end of a lot of eras. I want to know more about this. Let me finish reading this, but you have to tell me all this. Thankfully, we have a podcast to discuss this. I would have have literally asked you that anyway. We had a podcast about this very thing. (laughs) Uh, It won five Tony Awards, including Best Musical. The original Broadway production starred Mary Martin as Maria, Theodore Bickel as Captain Georg von Trapp. The film adaptation was released in 1965 during Julie Andrews. During Julie Andrews was continuing her Eat Shit, My Fair Lady tour. Please explain this. So Julie Andrews originated the role of Eliza in My Fair Lady. And uh, so she was kind of a young unknown at the time. Mm. Uh, This was before Mary Poppins, I think. Yeah. And um, it was like this big controversy that instead of going with Julie Andrews, who could sing, um, (laughs) they went with Audrey Hepburn, who couldn't. couldn't. I mean, she she could she could kind of. She didn't have anything, you know. Obviously, she she doesn't have anything on Julie Andrews. Warner Brothers was pretty adamant that you know it would be a better investment to cast Audrey Hepburn, and so uh, a little man called Walt Disney like bopped on down the lane and was like, <laughs> "Well, I'll just snatch that right up," and so, so he did, yep. and. Um, not only did Mary Poppins, you know, become a huge success, uh, Julie Andrews actually beat Audrey Hepburn um, at the Academy Awards that year. Uh, and, like, shade was thrown um, very nice. <laughs> in her acceptance speech. Oh, seriously? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh. It was very, like, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, I think it was, it was one of those things where no one expected Julie Andrews to be, like, the huge star that she became. And obviously it didn't stay that way because, like, musicals, like, mm-hmm. crashed and burned right after The Sound of Music. Uh, but, yeah, she um, she kind of made Warner Brothers eat a little crow with uh, her <laughs> success in Mary Poppins and The Sound of Music. So it won a bunch of Oscars, including Best Picture and Director, was also the highest grossing film of 65, and became the highest grossing film of all time, not adjusted for inflation, by 1966, and held that distinction until The Godfather. Mary Poppins actually way outgrossed My Fair Lady. Right. And cost like almost a quarter as much. Like their budget was way, 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 way smaller. So it's a good yeah. investment. Crow was nommed. <laughs> uh, ironically, it was widely panned in early critical screenings for being too schmaltzy, as this type of big, swelling, hyper sincere musical was on its way out at the time. So it's kind of wild that it was even a hit at all. Uh, Julie Andrews is only six years. Plummer's Jr., I should say, was 
sad face, single tear. Uh, the rare incident of Hollywood age gap being way smaller. <laughs> Looking at you, Tom Cruise. <laughs> That's true. That's interesting. Tell me, what was uh, the end of a lot of things you said? Well, mostly it was... uh, So the 1960s was, um, as you know, like a a very transitional time in terms of film. Like if you look at like where we were in 1960 and where we were in 1970, I don't think there is like a 10-year period where just the types of film that were being made and became popular changed more. Mm -hmm. Um, Would you agree with that? Yes, yeah, definitely. 60s so, and into the 70s, even at that point. Yeah, so like that that 10-year span between 1960 and 1970, um, you know, at, in 1960, you still had like these big musicals uh, or even just like big, you know, productions like, you know, Cleopatra, which was kind of famously a huge flop and, you know, My Fair Lady and uh, uh, when was West Side Story? Bye Bye Birdie. It's sort of the beginning of the collapse of the studio system. Yeah, yeah. It, and and a part of that was these like really expensive uh, musicals, which were, you know, promoted by road shows, which we talked about last mm-hmm. week-ish. There was this sort of like attitude in Hollywood that where we need to like, you know, keep this, prop the system up, even though the trend was kind of, you know, tiptoeing towards more experimental stuff, you mm-hmm. know, like Bonnie and Clyde, um, more... Easy Rider, kind of, that kind of stuff later. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's more, much later, but... So, or, you know, like Easy Rider or even like In the Heat of the Night or Look Who's Coming to Dinner. You know, it's just like we're starting to get like race curious. Um, <laughs> and uh, basically critics were sort of eager for that, which is part of why they were not terribly impressed with The Sound of Music, because it felt like a 1950s musical. Mm-hmm. And so, it, again, it is kind of wild that it was as successful as it was because, you know, this sort of thing you know, the trend was definitely that it was going away. And 19 or, and the sound of music was followed by uh, a bunch of like very high profile flops, like most notably Dr. Doolittle, uh, which was a musical, like uh, a musical. <laughs> in, I mean, we maybe should do Dr. Doolittle. It's like, oh shit. I don't think I even like, knew there was a musical. Yeah. Do- it started as a musical. Well, it was a book. It was like children's book, like Mary Poppins. And then it was a movie musical. There was no stage musical like Mary Poppins. Um, And it was just a notorious flop. And then came uh, Hello, Dolly, which you may know from... I've seen Hello, Dolly, actually. Oh, yeah? Yeah, Yeah. oddly enough. From Wally. Wow. Is that why you hate musicals? (laughs) Was that it? It's it's always cats. Hello, Dolly is funny, though, because it's just ridiculous. I mean, I didn't really, like, watch it, watch it. It just sort of was... She was watching Hello, Dolly basically killed musicals. Like, that was definitely killed the big, like, you know show musical um because like after that there really wasn't much there was cabaret and that was it uh Mm. um and so you know and the musical kind of died except for like really low profile ones like uh you know again like a little shop of horrors um basically up until the disney renaissance so yeah i guess like the the sound of music is is like the last bastion of a bygone era because really musicals dominated hollywood since talkies, you know, yeah, since they were just like a common, like half of movies were musicals uh, up until the 1960s. That's actually really interesting. I wonder if this is like seen as the magnum opus, like in history now, where you're like, this is it. This is where they mm-hmm. peaked. Yeah, this was the best. And then people were just like, well, it's not going to get any better than this. It, yeah, in hindsight, it is. I actually, because if you, if you like, 
audience, if you haven't seen, I actually did a um, an episode on this a couple of years ago. That's called I think it was called the Death of the Mu- Movie Musical. Um, that goes into more depth on this subject. It's kind of one of those things that like you went out with a bang, but then there were all these like misfires after it, which I find very funny, especially Dr. Doolittle, which is just is like not only like a notorious flop, but sounds like the most miserable production that has ever happened. Like just just, you know, like lost in La Mancha levels. (laughs) 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 Would you say that those ones do you think I mean, again, having because you've seen all of them, do you think they were Mm -hmm. all terrible and that's why they flopped or do you just think also there was like you said like the taste of films coming into the mid to late 60s sort of transitioning into this more indie sort of like you said uh what did you what did you say <laughs> race curious right i think yeah i think it is a little column a a little column b uh because i think like do little in particular is like i mean i think we should definitely do it when we're in our movies phase because it is hilarious like it is just you know you can't even that's not jerry lewis is it uh, that's I think you're thinking of Flubber. I thought um, he was Doctor Doolittle. Okay, Rex Harrison was Doctor Doolittle. Oh yeah, you're right. Um, I'm, th- I'm thinking of and, him as a different crazy doctor. Yeah, Hello Dolly, I think is just really boring. Like honestly, the only reason I watched it was because of Wally. It's true. I didn't know. That's what how Sarah pitched it to me. She was like, "This is the movie that they talk that they show in Wally," and I was like, "Yeah," because I, I always okay. wondered why the fuck he uses it. Yeah, yeah, they, they use it just because they thought it was funny. Like they just it was like, "What's a really lame movie that nobody remembers?" <laughs> Hello, Dolly. Done. It's very <laughs> odd. Well, I'm excited to watch this. Like I said, I, I actually had started it like a week ago, and then <laughs> of course, you know, Christopher Palmer passed away, and we had discussed this, so I'd only watched like the opening couple of minutes of yeah. it. Thankfully, my it's, ADD it's saved a, us. <laughs> it's a, it's a banging opening couple minutes. So when when was the last time you watched it? Oh God, it probably hasn't been since I was in elementary school. Oh wow, it's okay. been a so long time. It's been at least like twenty twenty five years. So this probably. is like almost fresh eyes. Yeah, but of course the song still like that's the power of this fucking musical. I remember, I still remember. So you half still the song. remember? Yeah, like, yeah. Adieu, I guess, yeah, they adieu, are very. Adieu. They're so catchy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're really, really catchy. And, uh, you know, I think like even as I'm remembering them, I'm like, they all kind of, they're very good about sounding, you know, unique in their catchiness. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it doesn't have the problem where like the repo problem <laughs> where all they all sound the same and you can't remember <laughs> a single tune. I still even um, remember thinking of like the major scale, like do, re, mi, fa. And I was like, Oh, it's it's sound of music. I thought that like they invented that. I didn't realize that that was mm-hmm. taken from a music. Yeah, no, I thought scale. that too. It's like how old were you when you realized that the sound of music did not actually yeah. invent the the scale? That's how ingrained it was into us. Yeah, yeah. From the time we were kids. But no, I'm excited to watch this. I think this is going to be one where, you know, it's like a stroll down memory lane and you know, it's funny cuz I was talking to Sarah about it and she brought up a good point which I thought was interesting too is like I sort of still remember a lot of it but like we started talking about the Nazi stuff and I'm like, I kind of forgot about a lot of the Nazi stuff because that's when the songs stop, if I remember correctly. Yeah. After the Nazi stuff comes in, um, there are a couple songs, but they're all diegetic. Like they're all the family actually performing. So like, I don't even remember what happens in like the last, I just remember like she shows up and like they have a bunch of songs and then they have marionettes and it's cool. And then they fall yeah, in yeah. love. And then the Nazi stuff is like in act two and like yeah. act two is pretty short compared to act one. It's funny. because like, it turns into an action movie towards the end. I don't remember like, any of that. Yeah. Yeah. Where they're, they're like, you know, hiding from the Nazis and like running <laughs> and like dashing to the border, like jumping over the mountains. Like, yeah, it's like the, the end is like, you know, it, it is funny how like there's this big tonal shift towards the end where like the music definitely dies down and it turns into an action movie and, like, <laughs> it's, 
Yeah. It sounds but they good. Here. Those trap kids, they made the it traps, out. traps, they Spoilers. made it out, they came out here, and now their great-grandkids are singing at the Hollywood Bowl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's go watch The Sound of Music, and... Uh, we shall return. Yes. This episode is sponsored by CuriosityStream, a subscription streaming service with literally thousands of documentaries and nonfiction titles. And there are some really good ones on there. There's a Glenn Gould one I really enjoyed, and actually one about Charles and Ray Ames for all you mid-century heads. You can also get access to our streaming video service Nebula when you sign up for CuriosityStream using our code at curiositystream.com slash musicalsplaining. The Streamy Award-nominated Nebula is a video streaming platform built by and for creators, not disruptors, destroyers, troublemakers, botherers, or annoyers. So please, haters to the left. You're probably asking, why do I need Nebula if I've already got Curiosity Stream? And uh, you know what? That's a good question. Intellectual curiosity is how we reach a more perfect union. So good job. So I'm going to tell you how it breaks down. Curiosity Stream is all about big budget nonfiction videos. And Nebula is a place for the smaller, independent education type creators to try out new ideas that might not work out on YouTube. So think of it as like a Gilman or like a CBGB where you can say you saw someone cool and punk before they became mainstream and lame. Although mainstream is cool too. There's no such thing as selling out FYI. Anyway, with Nebula, you can see original, you guessed it, content from creators like Legal Eagle, Sarah Zed, and a certain Ellis of the Lindsay variety. So get Curiosity Stream. And Nebula for only $2.99 a month or $19.99 for a full year. That's 365 days, which is almost how long we've been in quarantine, but that's a side note. Uh, you can get that by visiting curiositystream.com, you guessed it, slash musical splaining. And once you use the code, you'll get a welcome email from Nebula giving you access to the goods. Alright, three, two, one. Yeah, we did that was a good clap. Say so that, yeah. For for those of you who wonder, do we have a sophisticated <laughs> means of syncing our sound? Yes, it's called clapping with this new tool called hands. Hands clap. Uh, yes, Zencaster is a thing, but we record on uh, uh, external friend. devices. Anyway, Paul. Yeah, Paul is shout out to Paul. We never give him proper shout outs. Yeah, Paul. Uh, give make a sound effect yeah. for your to acknowledge your existence. <laughs> <laughs> give us a slide whistle. <laughs> <laughs> anyway feeling uh, silly <laughs> <laughs> Woo, singing nazis anyway uh We're back. sound of music 1965's uh highest grossing film imho uh <laughs> I, guess, I guess i'll go first still really holds up i think it is uh eminently watchable because like as i was watching it you know like taking notes and i was like live tweeting it and i saw um, some of those too yeah, and I noticed, like, as I was live tweeting it, I got, like, I less and less, and then there was, like, an entire hour where I yep. didn't say anything, and it wasn't <laughs> because I was, like, you know, for want of something to say, I was just kind of engrossed, and then before I knew yep. it, like, two hours was gone, so I was, like, this, you know, this movie is, doesn't feel its length, uh, for the most part, there are definitely yeah. parts that don't. I had the same experience with my notebook, too, like, there's notes, and then it reaches a certain <laughs> point, and then it just drops off, and I was, like, oh, yeah, I just watched it. Yeah. What were your fifis on The Sound my, my of Music? All right, so I realized a couple of things, right? Number one, I had to ask my sister this. I was like, did we have the tape and we only watched the first half of it? I was like, <laughs> because watching it all the way through, right? 
Mm-hmm. It wasn't like I watched the second part or the second act and I was like, oh, I forgot about this. And I'm and like, you know, there was literally not even a single flash of memory of it. I'm like, I might have just never seen the second half before because all we yeah, ever watched the was the first act. act is feature length. Yeah. Yeah, it's like the first act is almost two hours. Yeah, interesting. So like you'd never seen like, you know, the, the dash to the border and like... I, I didn't see any of it. I think I just didn't, I, I don't know. And then like we had this whole conversation where I was like, did we, I was like, how was that possible? You know, and then sort of what you and I talked about where we were like, well, you know, the first part's a lot more kid friendly, obviously. Cause yeah, it's yeah. The kids and stuff. I definitely watched the first part more as a kid. Like it just, I think it appealed to me. It had more like the kids, you know, having their little arc in it. Um, it had like more of the iconic songs the second half is more of like just a conventional mm-hmm. movie movie and the songs that are there yep. are uh re uh, repri- reprises of uh, callbacks songs. yeah sort of to it <laughs> yeah yeah uh songs that are in the first half so i remember watching the first half more but i definitely remember watching the second half but i'm i'm borderline convinced i just never saw it mm-hmm. and like i thought i had seen it i guess i just like hadn't so that was really weird watching it. And I was like, I don't remember them hiding behind the fucking in the church. Behind the, I was like, what the fuck is this? Hiding so, in the mausoleum. It was crazy. So it was so like what I was just saying, I was like kind of riveted in the second half being like, I don't even remember, like just trying to like scrape the back yeah, of my head. Yeah, not knowing what's going to happen. Yeah, and I was like, oh my God. I mean, obviously I assumed that they were going to get out. But so so that was the first part of it that was funny. And, and by the way, sidebar, interesting fact, uh, I talked to my mom about it too. And she was like, I remember seeing it in Iran. And she's like, but there, they didn't call it Sound of Music. They called it Ashrav uh, Alabhanda, which literally translates to like tears and smiles, which is the most <laughs> fucking Persian translation <laughs> of all time. Very, yeah, that sounds very Bollywood. Yeah. Like, <laughs> tears and smiles. But I was like, I have to bring that up at the podcast. I was like, that's the goofiest thing ever. Well, I don't know. I feel like I, I can't cut it. Well, I mean, I know your mom didn't have a mad dash to the border, but I, I, I do kind of wonder like what the broader Persian community's like feelings about this movie are considering the content honestly yeah like watching it too i was like oh yeah i get this i mean i don't personally i mean but like i was like this is a story that like i've heard a thousand times of people being yeah like, like in a bunch of your family do yeah. have like harrowing escape stories yeah just like oh fuck the government's fucked we have to get the fuck out of here and then like <laughs> the fear of that so like you know even though it's about like super white people mm-hmm. in austria there was definitely that element of it is like of of diaspora sort of fleeing from one place like that I, mm-hmm. I related to, but and having to do it like overnight overnight. Yeah. And even them just being again, cause I didn't remember any of that, whether or not I've seen it is sort of up to, you know, if they create a memory ray to see if I actually had seen it at some point in the past, but mm-hmm. just that thing that like he had, they had to leave the same night is like crazy, but like, again, not totally out of the purview of the stories that I've heard. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it was really interesting to watch from that angle too. But I don't know if you know this about me. I don't think we've ever talked, but, you know, I'm basic, right, in certain instances. So what, in one of the ways I'm very basic is that... I thought you were about to t- talk about, like, your, your, your like, Iranian backstory. And, like, <laughs> right, you thought family. I was going to get to something. Yeah, I thought yeah. you were about to, like, talk about, like... I'm not that interesting, unfortunately. countries. Yeah, you, he was born here. I was born and raised here. I, I have none of that. Uh, but one of the basic things about me is that... Not basic as in simple things, but, like, I'm basic bitch in that... I will always, always watch and I'm a sucker for band movies, right? Movies about people 
that like fucking they're they whatever and they start a band and it's fucking about <laughs> the music and then they love music and then because they're saved by the music it's always the same it's always yeah, it's cheesy like, and so I'm, it's like school of rock school of rock like school of fucking, rock but with nazis the commitment sing street like fucking bohemian rhapsody oh, the even commitments. i haven't thought about that movie since college i'll watch all of these movies if it's about like people getting together and starting a band fucking straight out of compton whatever if it's like <laughs> if it's like people who are like saved by music i'm a sucker for it and like I, when I was watching this, I realized I was like, this is a fucking band movie. This mm-hmm. this is about a lady. It's like, the, <laughs> I don't know what you want to call it. Like the lead singer was like a nun in a church. Yeah. Right. The fucking yeah. producer. That's the dad. She'd like given up on her dream of being yeah. a singer. She was ready to go all in on nunning. <laughs> and then she meets these kids and then she's like, hmm. You got and talent. then the manager shows up, Uncle Max, the Nazi right. collaborator, like shows up and is like, uh, like, hmm, I've got a, I've got a deal for you guys. Yeah. But it's funny, right? Because it's like this band forms by like these people who are in like different fucking walks mm-hmm. of life. The music saves them by uniting them. They yeah. fucking write a couple of hit songs that are great, that are like loved by everybody. And in the second act, they are saved by the music, quite literally, by being able to perform those songs yeah. and escape they're, they're the Nazis. They're saved by it, but also they have to give it up. They have to give up their dream for freedom, you know, because really right. like the kids could have like stayed in Austria and become stars. But then, the you know, then dad would have had to go be a Nazi. Um, and he, he did. He just he didn't like the Nazis. He's not here no. for it. Yeah, uh, thankfully. Yeah. I'm not, but it's funny because I usually I'll do like a recap of the plot and I'm not bothering because I'm assuming everybody. But everyone, is, they know like, this. Yeah, yeah. I'm assuming everybody is like, like at least it. familiar with the sound. Except for me, apparently, right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I think to me, the the um, most noteworthy thing about this particular rewatch is, you know, the songs are like very on the nose, especially especially mm-hmm. the expository ones. Like that first song that Maria has um, as she's leaving the Abbey, where she's like, you know, I'm kind of unsure uh, about like where my future is going to head. And the lyrics are like, what will my future bring? I wonder. And then she talks about how I have confidence in my, and it's very, very on the right. nose. Like there's no subtext here. Um, and, you know, I guess most musicals are like that, like, especially from that era. But then when they get to the Nazi stuff, it's like all subtext in a way that like, I never really appreciated before. Like um, how, cause like there's this character of Max, uh, Uncle Max, Uncle Max, call yeah. Him who shows up, uh, you know, about halfway through the movie, and he's just, like, a friend of, you know, Captain Von Trapp and the Baroness, who's, like, the hashtag other lady in the love triangle. <laughs> and, um... Well, I got some questions about her. I'm like, what is her... I yeah. didn't really understand her deal. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's like, she's a gold dig... I'm like, she's, she's a, rich, and she's already a Baroness. Yeah, what does she need him for? I don't get it. I, I mean... Seven kids? He, she doesn't even like kids. Like, what the fuck? He's daddy. Like... <laughs> I I, I kind of feel like Captain Von Trapp has like some some secret assets that like only the Baroness has really appreciated. Uh, But anyway, so like uh, Max shows up and like he kind of functions as sort of like this centrist who is like, yeah, the Nazis are bad, but this isn't really going to affect us. Right. And. I remember as a kid, like there's this scene where like the, I, I wrote this down where he says, um, so Rolf, who is one of the kids love interests and gets mm-hmm. radicalized at some point, uh, shows up. He's the up one that got radicalized by like, YouTube. Yeah. 
Yeah, he 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 watched some gamers on YouTube. <laughs> um and it's kind of funny like in the movie there hadn't really been any Nazi stuff and then like about halfway through the movie um he just shows up with a telegram for Captain Von Trapp and he's like eh, Heil oh, Hitler. Yeah. And he's like, "Whoa, Heil Hitler out Whoa, of nowhere." Yeah. And so Captain Von Trapp takes the telegram and he and Max have this very brief uh, conversation where Max says, well, what's going to happen is going to happen. Just make sure it doesn't happen to you. And then uh, Christopher Plummer turns around. He's like, don't you ever say yeah, that to me. Seriously. And he like screams at him. And I, you know, that was the first time I had watched that line and really got it, you know, because like as a kid, I just kind of like, I don't understand why he's screaming at him, but... Whatever, I don't understand most things in movies. Mm-hmm. I'm nine. Um, and it's kind of funny, like, you know, because when we were growing up, there, you sort of take it for granted that, like, yeah, the good guys stand against Nazism. Nazis are bad. And yeah. I watch it now, and I'm like, look at this king. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, being the one brave man standing up Silence against the fascists. Silence is violence, yeah. Yeah, I think that's the thing. It's like, I never really appreciated how Max is a character. Like, he's not a demon. He's He's just, like kind of nonchalant about politics because he knows it's not really going to affect him and um and i you know it's just like it really rings differently now in a way that it definitely did not in the 90s or even like the i think the like like in the 2000s when i think was the other last time i watched it um and so it's yeah i think that's part of the reason why i was like a lot more riveted by it than i might have been like 10 or 20 years ago I think additionally, like the themes of it play really well, right? And I'm just going to sort of harp on this whole band thing, right? I'm like <laughs> partially joking, but like, right, it's it's music, right? And, and, and something I thought that was really interesting in it was how certain things played in the first act and how they played very differently in the second act and mm-hmm. how the context of them changing yeah, just gave yeah. it a completely different... We're so long, farewell is like a, a bittersweet in right. the second act, where the first act, it's like, we're going to bed, bye. <laughs> It, this is going to sound totally insane, and it is, but it kind of reminded me of uh, Clockwork Orange almost, <laughs> <laughs> or like some of Kubrick's movies, because Kubrick's movies, which I didn't realize this until we've done this podcast, where I'm like, he does two acts on a lot of his movies, like Full Metal Jacket, there's like an act, it's sort of like a musical the way he does yeah. it, right? Or Hitchcock, Hitchcock does it too. Like yeah. Psycho is very like bifurcated. It's basically two different movies. Yeah, so like uh, Clockwork Orange famously, right, it, it starts with the opening shot of like his two eyes and then that's supposed to like represent the two sides of Al- or the two journeys of Alex, right? And then the one thing that I think of always um is Singing in the Rain, right? When they play Singing in the Rain in the first uh section right, of the film yeah. and then when they play it at the end it's like it's perverted, right? Which it's not that this is perverted, but like just hearing that song in the different context well, it's of like, like the yeah, story. Yeah, in, in the second, yeah, the context is like him, you know, his his actions coming home to roost yeah and i think it it is kind of similar in the sound of music but it's more like the outside's actions coming to roost rather than Mm -hmm. the protagonist actions so yeah i think there's something to that and i think that's one i think another reason what when musicals do that well is that we'll bring motifs back yeah um or songs back like you know hadestown did that um Mm -hmm. A lot where they would bring um, motifs back in the second act and they would have a different flavor to them or they would have a different application. And I think, you know, part of that is why, like, you know, The Sound of Music is so iconic because, like, you have this very, like, a lot of the songs in the first act are 
basic, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> do re mi, I'm teaching you how to sing or, uh, you know, so long, farewell. It's, you know, we're going to bed now and we're children. Good right. night. And it's just like in the second act, it has this sort of like, you know, there's a lot more tension to it. Yeah. Like even like the do re mi, like uh, rep- reprise mm-hmm. is where they're just saying like, T and gem yeah. and bread. Like, they just like, <laughs> it almost feels like they're improvising. Yeah. And, you know, there's just like this incredible tension to it, especially in the way that it's shot. Um, and it is kind of funny to me that like, this is one of Christopher Plummer, like Christopher Plummer didn't love this movie. Um, Cause I think I like, yeah, I'm like King. I think he's <laughs> so like, I think he's the best actor in the movie. He also has sort of the best role in the movie. In yeah. Terms of, yeah. Like, but also written. just like the way he interacts with the kids, like this sort of sardonic, like, I know what you're up to, <laughs> you know, once he, once he like hugs them, you know, that's another thing. That like scene, that, you Oh know. my God, that hug. Yeah. Holy shit. <laughs> Fucking straight tears. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I spent like ten minutes looking for the right gif, like <laughs> for that tweet, oh, 100%. Where, I just, where I was just like, you know, every time, you know, I watch that scene where, because like he's standing there and watching, you know, the kids in soft focus, you know, and I think like the like the use of soft focus, I kind of miss. Oh, and that's yeah, there, it cuts to that angle. You're right. I remember when I was watching it with Sarah, I was like, oh, it, like the lighting changes even too. Yeah, yeah, like. And it does it a few times where, yeah, it's like, oh, that was like a big thing in like the 50s and 60s um, where, you know, sometimes you would cut to a like a point of view character and it'll be in soft focus. Um, Mm -hmm. And actually Lord of the Rings does this. Uh, it, It does it a little bit more subtly, but like. There are a lot of scenes where um, you'll cut to like one of the elves or like um, Arwen and Aragorn on the bridge is a good example where like they will be in soft focus Mm -hmm. and it kind of adds this sort of like ethereal quality to it. Yeah. He looks at his kids and, you know, then he starts singing along and just, you know, the tears, they do come. (laughs) Uh, One more thing, too, about music in the first and second half. I I never thought about what the whistle was um, Mm -hmm. as much. But I, I thought, so I had two realizations, right? One is the very obvious answer is like the whistle in the first half is about him trying to control the kids, right? And she shows up and sort of breaks him of that. And then mm-hmm. hearing the whistle in the second half is like fucking terrifying. Yeah, when you yeah. Hear the Nazis it's kind of sh- yeah, showing almost his own like tendencies, uh-huh. you know, which is like that you have this in you also. And, you know, but there, yep. there before the grace of God goes Captain Von Trapp. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, and it's just, all you have to hear is the whistle and you sort of see him. He doesn't, it's not like they don't make a big thing of it of like, yeah. you know, like a zoom in yeah, on his face. Yeah, you don't see like a close hit on the, yeah. <laughs> and then or he's, he's just like, like what? yeah. And he's, it's just kind of like, it's a, this is a weird, I, I feel like in a weird way, like they made this movie for kids and adults in a way that like the, there's some stuff that is like so on the nose and zero subtext, but then there's stuff like that and where it's like very subtext and, you know, you kind of have to be paying attention, but yeah. one way or the other, it definitely like, you, you know, as another fe- famous film critic said like maybe you didn't notice but your brain did right, right, but your brain did like, yeah yeah it just like it, it creates that tension that you know is kind of there and played for comedy at the first in the first half but like a very tense kind of comedy yeah. it's also interesting if you think about i mean the the actual what is it like the literal definition of music is what it's like notes played or like sounds played in sequence like over a period of time Right. So him with the whistle is is like it's fucked up music. Right. Because he's playing these little like keys or sorry, these cues for like Mm -hmm. each kid for whatever. But it's like this very distorted, like like fucked up idea of reality of what music is. 
mm-hmm. Maria shows up and sort of says like, no, fuck that. That's not what music is. Music is this. It's singing. It's everybody being together. Right. She sort yeah. of challenges the idea of it. I just thought that was, it's another thing of, it's another thematic thing that plays through that I was like, oh, I never thought about it in terms of no, li- yeah, literally never, the title I, I of it. I never noticed that before. It's really deep, bro. <laughs> no, I think, I think you're absolutely right. Like, I, I know I do the thing, but like, you want to say that it's Maria's story, but really it's Captain Von Trapp's oh, it's story. story. Yeah. Especially yeah. in the second act. It's most, it's almost entirely his story in the second act. Yeah. Where he, especially considering like, you know, I think Plummer is so great because he keeps doing things that you'd think on paper would make him unsympathetic, like saying, no, the kids can't sing in the festival for mm-hmm. basically no good reason. Yeah. And it's not proper. Yeah, and just like, you can't sing in public because I said so. And, you know, normally you could very easily see him being cast as the bad guy again in that. But it's just like in here, it's just like he just said no. And that's, you know, daddy knows best. <laughs> um, and and uh, but then I also think, you know, th- that was another thing about like this rewatch is, um, you know, it would have been so easy for him to like quite literally been drafted, you know, into yeah. the Navy and, you know, fought in the war the entire time. And not been able to do anything about it. Um, and I think that's, you know, it's another thing that we kind of took for granted as kids, or at least I did, where it's just like, oh, well, of course he wouldn't have. Like, he's a good right. person, and good persons don't fight, fight. on the bad side. Because <laughs> right. I, when I was in college, um, I had, a, like, I learned how to play the accordion. Um, and I joined an all-female, all-accordion orchestra. Mm-hmm. Um, that I remember was, you telling me about uh, this, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, w- that was... Uh, Maestroed by a, a German man named Volta. And, Volta. you know, he he was just like this quirky dude. Um, you know, he's like, he, he died a few years ago. Um, but like, he, you know, he would like talk during shows sometimes about like, here's why I like this song. And uh, one of the songs he like, it was like, uh, it's called Lily Marlene. It was like a song that was made uh, famous by Marlena Dietrich. And then one night, one night, he just like, I'm going to sing this song. And he starts talking about like his relatives who died fighting for Hitler. And um, it was like, it was just sort of like this strange thing that like no one ever thinks about. Like, you just like, yeah, I have these uncles that I never met. Um, and I don't think they believed in Hitler's cause, but they didn't have a choice but to fight. Mm-hmm. And my dad only kind of got out of it because he had like a bum foot or something. And, you know, that's kind of the only reason that I'm alive and able to be here right now. And then he sang his little song. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a hell of an open kinda, mic night. <laughs> yeah, it was like that kind of like, I guess, stuck with me. Uh, and it still sticks with me. And it's a sort of like... I, 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 we're kind of living in this era right now where we still have a bunch of Uncle Maxes who are just like, yeah, that bad thing happened, but it can never happen again. So it's fine. Don't worry about it. And I think we really take for granted, mm-hmm. you know, that, you know, this bad thing happened this once, but it will never happen again. And I feel like we're kind of living through that right now. We're basically where we are right now is like 1936 Europe. And it could go one of two very different directions. And so, like, I don't know. I think those, yeah, it, it really stuck with me. Like, the, the especially the Max storyline. You know, Max the collaborator, Max the complacent motherfucker. The both sides. The person yeah. who will just play it to his benefit. Who sort or of no, I think, I think there's stance. something more dangerous about the idea of, like, he knows it's wrong. 100%, yeah. But, you know, yeah. he, he's got to make a buck. You know, yeah. the liberals, as, as, as <laughs> people on Twitter <laughs> would, would, would say. Yeah, I agree. 
I had all these notes that I had written down that were more jokey, but now we're like, yeah, now we're talking about I mean, like, I mean, like, seriousness. Like, okay, of Nazis. so like last night at two a.m., <laughs> I, I I was like I couldn't sleep because like this this movie made me think of um, the first time I was in uh, like actually because I was listening to Jay Z yesterday um, on Spotify and uh, the Hard Knock Life from Annie came on and I was mm-hmm. like oh actually that was the first time I heard anything from Annie and I was in Annie in high school and uh, rather I was the piano player um, in the orchestra and uh, I started thinking about my high school quiet te- choir teacher and how much I hated her <laughs> and I literally could not sleep because I, I just got so angry at my high school choir teacher and then at 2am <laughs> I thought about the nuns at the end who like show off their mad mechanic skills. Yeah seriously that was but- impressive <laughs> and I wrote the words Chekhov's nun. So I just want you to <laughs> If you show a nun in the beginning, you, go, you have to pay her I off. I just at need the you end. guys to go on this journey with me. <laughs> how I how I got to Chekhov's nun. <laughs> so I was gonna say, so a question we always or I keep asking that we discuss is what merits this as a film versus a stage musical, right? Mm-hmm. And I think this kind of I, I, I would almost argue kind of is it really even still a musical because it feels like the majority of it's more film particularly the second act well i think part of that is because you are kind of more used to like the um operetta style musical that andrew lloyd Webber helped popularize where it is like mostly singing because like that way of like there being like long stretches of dialogue and then songs was more the way it was done in the 1950s Mm -hmm. so i feel like this this is a bit more of a um, accurate reflection of the stage show. That said, they did cut a lot out um, mm-hmm. because I had a bunch of people that, of course, were in versions of Sound of Music in their high school that were tweeting at me and told me that, like, the Baroness had, um, you know, one a of number. the best songs and Uncle... Yeah, she had like, you know, they cut that from the movie. And it's like, and you can kind of see why, because it's not her story. But like, yeah, she she had a song that was really popular. I was curious about that. I was like, I wonder what the stage version was like. Yeah. It, it was and I feel like I can't really speak to that because also, you know, it's just like I actually have never seen a stage production of The Sound of Music, um, which I guess is sort of like one of my like, uh, I guess, big blind spots. Apparently, uh, all we need to do is go to I, a local high school and we'll be able to see one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Any high school on Monday, like any high school is probably doing The Sound of Music at some point. Uh, but yeah, I guess like, part of it was because I never really had any interest because I watched this movie so many times and now as an adult that I could say like, yeah, actually it really holds up and it's really solid. I kind of always avoided it because I, I felt like it would be inevitable that I'd be disappointed by mm-hmm. whatever it is, unless it had like a really fresh take on it. Like um, the Oklahoma that they had that was supposed to be touring this year. I'm so sad. Oklahoma? That one? Yeah, Oklahoma. I mean, yeah, it's just like, I don't think that Oklahoma is a good uh, descriptor, I th- like people call it the Oklahoma that fucks, and I think that's more accurate. <laughs> but Oklahoma is shorter, <laughs> and that one had like a really fresh take on it, and I really liked that. Uh, I feel like you could do that with the Sound of Music, uh, and maybe they will. I'm sure it'll get revived on Broadway one of these days. What would the Sound um, of Music that fucks be? It seems like Sound of Music fucks uh, this already. This was kind of the. I mean, yeah, yeah it's like it fucks. <laughs> Uh, maybe it'd be more it's like very anti-Nazi, right? Like, yeah. Oh man. Yeah. That was another thing I was thinking about. Like, uh, I don't know if we'll ever get to do cabaret, which is like my other favorite show, uh, because like, you know, the definitive version at studio 54, uh, it, it probably, I don't know if it'll ever come back, uh, like let alone in, in its, you know, original form. 
It's it's really hard to judge it, and I feel like I can't because um, I have not seen it on stage. I don't know. Well, I feel like we should talk about Julie Andrews. It's, we talked a lot about Christopher Plummer, obviously. But oh, yeah. I, I think Julie Andrews, something I realized that she has a unique talent of doing is the way you sing in a musical film, right? That you're sort of animated and stagey, right? And very over the top. Mm-hmm. She somehow, I don't understand how she does it, but she manages to play that exact same thing when she's acting in the scenes. And it's like sort the same of, level in the same level, energy. but it doesn't feel hokey. It's sort of seamless, like between like the way she, I think specifically it was um, uh, f- my favorite things, right? Mm-hmm. Where she's like on the bed and she just sort of busts into it. And you're, mm-hmm. and then like the song is hokey and the lyrics are hokey and it's very big. I think part and the of rain, it is but... you see her moments of vulnerability. Like a lot of times she'll just be like, oh, fuck, what now? Like, she, you know, just like that's kind of where, you know, the seams break is she doesn't play perfection. Like in Mary Poppins, where she's just like, yes, I'm flawless. Very like in this movie, she keeps having like it'll keep cutting to her be like, you know, being exhausted or kind of not really knowing what to say and like thinking on the fly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think I think that's definitely part of it where it's just like there's a vulnerability to maria that is definitely not there in mary poppins i'd obviously always loved julie andrews but i think just kind of paying more attention to her performance here i just think that that's that's a very hard thing to do yeah right because it ends up coming off as like really fucking cheesy and hokey but like i mean she doesn't do this i'm saying that like a lesser actor would, mm-hmm. it's almost like she took what she was going to perform in the musical sections and just said, I'm going to incorporate this into the story parts and yeah. just fucking make she, it work. She almost sounds like she's singing whenever she speaks. Yeah. You know, cause she'll, she'll like, she has this like timber. So it, in a way, like it feels like a very cohesive performance. So yeah, it does feel really seamless whenever she starts singing. I also have this note. That's just Julie Andrews career as a nanny. <laughs> yeah it's just like you oh, yeah, it must right. needs be remarked yeah. this is very similar to mary poppins That's in that true. way and also i did find her haircut really distracting in a way that i never did before because it is so 1960 it is just it's fucking marion crane it's Jer- it's janet lee no woman in 1935 would have that haircut so made it so stylish uh <laughs> but it's interesting to see her play it that way and and to watch christopher Plummer kind of play it in a similar way, in the sense that, like, he plays the same way as the music mm-hmm. when he's singing as he does yeah, when he's, he's very acting. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of I don't know. There's a lot of I, I mean, these are I guess more directorial kind of like notes about it, but I just thought those were like interesting flourishes. The other thing I thought was fun, which again, thank you for informing me about this, but it, I remembered back to the King and I, where mm-hmm. we had sort of talked about how that was the sort of test run for this, and I was like, man fucking Rogers and Hammerstein there if there's one thing these motherfuckers know how to do it's write a story about a guy who's got a bunch of kids who needs a <laughs> nanny to show up and like challenge him teach him, him how to love his teach kids teach him how to love his kids and make it entertaining as fuck cuz that's like yeah yeah that's why I feel like the sound of music is the superior the king and I uh and also has like a more ha- you know a more satisfying ending because it's like you know it is like you said it is the band it's a, it's a it's a movie about like the band getting together and then at the end of the day you know well what is it what how does it end well they have to give up their dream in order for freedom yeah. as opposed to the king and i where he just dies and you know i think in that way it's just it's a much more satisfying story as a whole and also let's be real like the the songs are a lot more memorable oh yeah for sure um, 
And one, because like one of the other notes I had was, um, you know, part of the reason for the endurance of these songs is because they have like this really wide applicability outside of the show slash movie. Um, you know, like my favorite things is a good example of like, well, that's not really a song that existed or rather a popular one. Like, mm -hmm. you know, there isn't a like, here's how to get happy song or so long farewell. Like there's not a goodbye song, Yeah, you know, uh, you know, cause like there's songs for like happy birthday uh -huh, or, uh -huh. you know, stuff like that. That's but like, a there's point. not a, yeah. yeah, there's not a song for like, all right, we're leaving. Bye. You know? Yeah. Adieu, yeah. Adieu, so adieu. I think like this song, this, this show uh, actually creates like songs for occasions that are really common, but didn't really exist yet. Mm -hmm. uh, or even do re mi, we're learning how to sing, you yeah. know, um, or I'm teaching you something. So it's like, there's just like this really wide application ability that I think is like really smart and I think it's interesting that this is like Oscar Hammerstein's last musical because like if you got to go out man he went out with Bay. it's the one to do it with yeah I did think that the locations were uh, so actually going back real quick we were talking about sort of what makes this what merits this as a film versus like oh, a stage shit, musical yeah. right so and, like, gorgeously shot I was yeah, just like holy like, shit and I'm like they didn't really do because like I think back now to Moulin Rouge and like Moulin Rouge is sort of like the fucking insane super extra version of like what you can do with it Mm -hmm. And like, this is like on the opposite end of the spectrum of being like, they didn't really do shit in terms of like, like editing yeah, and craziness, like, but and it's also very like on location. Right. But that's exactly it. And I'm like, but you film in Austria and like Austria is beautiful. You just have someone talking outside and you have mountains and like beautiful buildings in the background. You're like, oh, okay. This is very gorgeous to look at. And I imagine it's very different than watching it on a stage. I do kind of wonder if Salzburg was different in 1965 because I've been to Salzburg and my memory of Salzburg was just like, it was really, really crowded and it was really, really touristy and mm. everything was covered in Mozart. And I guess it's like, as I'm watching this, I'm like, man, I, I need to give Salzburg another try. Because <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, I kept like thinking like, man, this, this almost kind of reminds me of like that 30 Rock episode where like they're shooting in Connecticut and like they have to keep oh, like right, right. mentioning how great Connecticut <laughs> it is the saw ripoff <laughs> like yeah the saw ripoff where he's like you're <laughs> trapped in one of our 24 state parks <laughs> 24 <laughs> and yeah it was just like i know obviously like you know they didn't get money from the austrian government but they're like it, it really does kind of feel like an unintentional ad for like austrian tourism because <laughs> i'm like man Salzburg i mean from the opening great. shot too even <laughs> Yeah, right, yeah. The opening shot is literally like this. I mean, that answered the question to me, which is mm -hmm. like, oh, yeah, it's like her doing that iconic, you know, her spinning around where she's oh, singing yeah. the song. And that, the oh, yeah. The helicopter shot. I saw what you wrote about the fucking drones. Or I was like, how, yeah, well, it's yeah, wild it's kind of funny about, about like how easy it is to get that shot and how like basically that shot is like kind of infamous is like sometimes Julie Andrews will tell that anecdote of how like. They had a week to shoot it and it rained the whole week. And so oh. it was like on the last day that they were like just waiting on this mountain for like, okay, okay, you know, please God. And then the sun came out and they were like, shit, go, go, go. go. And so then the helicopter just like, vroom, and they had 20 minutes before it started raining again. Oh my God. <laughs> for her to like, you know, hit her mark spin and spin around. while <laughs> smiling. And then... Yeah, and then they had to edit it like just in a certain way because when the helicopter got too close, it blew her over. And so it's like, <laughs> it, it is amazing how difficult that scene was to shoot. 
compared to how easy it would be now. Like we could shoot it. Like we yeah. could just go to Austria go to and shoot it with a like <laughs> a yeah with a three hundred dollar drone and a GoPro. Mm-hmm. Like it is it, it is it is it's like wild. I mean I think that part of it's like uh, it you know there's just definitely the sort of Epcotness with the way that it's shot. But it's also just like such a gorgeous movie, you know, and that's part yeah. of another reason why it's so riveting is like most of it's shot on location, the outdoor mm-hmm. stuff anyway. And um, that house it's too, just fuck. like, it, yeah, that ha- yeah, it's just like beautiful to look at. Man, that was such a bummer when they're like, we have to leave this house now forever. I was like, oh, yeah, Heinrich Himmler's gonna no. go. Yeah, fucking Heinrich Himmler, <laughs> fuck that guy. I mean, obviously, fuck that guy before this, but yeah, knowing that but he took over I'm that really house, bad. I'm like, yeah. Now you've I gone too really far. I really wonder because I was like, wow, <laughs> naval captain, huh? Shit. <laughs> I've got questions about the Austrian Navy. They must have really great benefits. Jesus Christ. I guess my thing is that, like, and I think this is the thing that, like, I felt as a kid is, you know, the version that's on Disney Plus includes the intermission and the entract. And it's funny because, like, I didn't go to the bathroom then, but, you know, when I did go to the bathroom. Which part? Climb every mountain. <laughs> <laughs> always always like to me i'm just like and that's when it just grinds to a halt like i i just i can't with mother superior (laughs) she was not not here for it yeah yeah she wasn't my favorite i get why emotionally it needs to be there but also it's boring the only thing (laughs) that stuck out to me was like you said i I always associated as being like julie andrews's uh, maria's movie when i was a kid but it was weird to watch it and be like, oh, it's actually like you said earlier, like, oh, it's actually like not her movie at all. It's really the fucking it's it's the captain's movie, like all the way through in terms of him having the biggest arc. So there was a part of it in the second act where I was watching where I was like, is she going to come back? Like, what the fuck's her? like? She's there, obviously, but like she essentially just becomes a sidetrack, but like put to the side for like literally the yeah, last yeah. like hour of the movie. She barely has like five lines. There's another scene where they like are drinking lemonade, which is another like whoosh scene that I did not get as a kid. The pink lemonade. Where, yeah, the pink lemonade where they just sort of like it's it's laced with lemonade. lemonade. And then like the captain's like, I think I could have some lemonade. Like just like. <laughs> <laughs> Getting wasted. Yeah, it's just like, you know, our, our vodka sandwich. Uh, <laughs> but uh, um, uh, yeah, I. It's funny because like the nuns are are really funny to me because like the song that they begin with like oh how God, do you talking solve them? so much shit so mean girls and then like they reprise that during the wedding during the I'm wedding like, what the fuck okay this is not a reprise that works this does not work like I get you need to it can't be a new thing this late in the game but no, like that was girl mean. you're you're negging her it's like you're negging her at her wedding come on could you could you lay off the shade for 10 goddamn minutes yeah, that i was know you're cool. nuns and then maybe she thought it was funny who knows i don't know sarah and i were She's laughing like, it's just a game they play they right. they just insult me i don't know <laughs> sarah and i were laughing because the line i can't remember exactly what the line was but it's like she's always late but never late to a meal <laughs> and Sarah was like, it's it me. And I was like, yep. <laughs> and I was like, 100%. And then we were just making jokes because I'm always the one who's like, we need to clean stuff or like things. I'm basically the Von Trapp and she's the Maria in our household where I'm like, order. And she's like, whatever. Like, I'll just take these fucking curtains and make them into clothes now. It's not a big deal. <laughs> you didn't say that I couldn't. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> But that part of it was fun to watch. Yeah, and also it's you know like Chekhov's nun at the end. I, it's I, it is a you know it's kind of one of those things that's, where it's like that's you, good merch by the way. We need to make that Chekhov's, Chekhov's nun. nun. Yeah, where they like <laughs> take out the like carburetors or something. Um, and, She's like, uh, yeah, what you got here is a burnt out radiator that you need to take. Like, She's all wiping her hands. That? 
Yeah, I'm just like, I have so many questions. Like, where did you learn how Don't to do that? Don't fuck with nuns, dude. They know their shit. I was like, yeah, it's, at one well, point. Well, I mean, <laughs> someone's got to take care of the caretaker's yeah. car. Yeah, so they knew. They knew. They knew how to, like, rip that transmission right out. Those Nazis let their guard down. Listen, nuns got a lot of time on their hands, right? They're probably yeah, and it's kind of like, like it's like one of those things where it's like it wasn't set up. But as I'm watching it, I'm like, you know what? It didn't need to be set up. The nuns were set up. That's why it's Chekhov's nun. <laughs> I love it. And like, I I don't know if that. Ha- I'm going to go out on a limb and assume that doesn't happen in the show. All right. Let let us let us know in the comments, the, the podcast <laughs> comments, if it happened. Have in you the show. performed in a high school adaptation yeah. of Sound of Music? <laughs> At us on Twitter. Yeah, tell tell us tell us how Chekhov's nun works in the show. <laughs> the one last thing that I should say that's very important was because of my dad brain I didn't remember, but the Hollywood Bowl show that I mentioned in the first section, it was a Pink Martini concert that we saw, and it was Ari Shapiro from NPR, not Kai Rizdal. Oh so, man, Kai would have like fucked you up if yeah, you had like. I couldn't remember. I was like, I don't remember. It, I'm sorry, oh, Ari was... would have fucked you up. <laughs> it was Ari Shapiro that did perform. Yeah. So, uh, and Violent Femmes apparently played with them as well, but it was like a whole mishmash of all these different people. So, Pink so Martini. Violent Femmes, Pink yeah, Martini, yeah. And, the, and the grandkids and of the, the grandkid, Von Trapp. Exactly. That was a show that I saw at the ball. Actually, yeah, that was something I didn't mention in the first half was the Von Trapps, um, like, they toured when they moved to the U.S., but their real bread and butter was they, they moved to Vermont, started a B&B. Um <laughs> Which is still there. Oh, and shit. Actually, yeah, we could go to the Oh, Von Tra- we gotta go. <laughs> yeah, we gotta like, Please that was, have like, a musical the, in Vermont. Yeah, it's like, Vermont, give us a reason to go. What's up, like, <laughs> citizens and officials of Rutland, Vermont? Yeah, there's, like, the Von Trapp Lodge, which is in Stowe, Vermont. Maybe there's, like, a Ben and Jerry's musical that someone's written. It's, I don't know. Yeah. Fucking- I, <laughs> Well, I mean, Hades Town originated in Vermont, kind of. Yeah, I'm looking at pictures of it now. I'm like, man, this is pretty sweet. I'd, I'd, I'd overpay for this. Oh my wow, God, they got amazing. some nice ass mountains too. Ooh, and a bathtub. <laughs> Hell yeah! I've never been to Vermont. So, I've never been to yeah. Vermont either. Hey, Vermont, give us a reason. Give to us a musical. <laughs> give, give us, give us a business related reason so we can write this <laughs> off. Staying at the Von Trapp Family Lodge in Stowe, Vermont. But, <laughs> All in all, it was fun. Obviously, we I enjoy we both enjoyed it, but it's also nice to watch a movie that you liked as a kid, and mm-hmm. have it hold up. Like that is a particularly warm, fuzzy feeling where I'm like, Phew, thank God, because so much of the shit you watch as a kid, you grow up and you're like, oh, I can't yeah. believe I loved that. Well, also but, like in a completely different way. I think yeah. to me that was the remarkable thing about watching this was like, like I think for instance, Beauty and the Beast is a movie where I was like, I grow up and I'm like, okay, what I liked about it as a kid is like basically the same thing. But this one is like completely different. Like yeah. um, when I was a kid, I liked the kid stuff. And then as an yeah, adult, yeah. the you thing like I the take away stuff. from it is just completely different. And mm-hmm. I think that's honestly kind of remarkable. And so like as before we were recording, I was just thinking it's honestly kind of wild to me that critics were mixed on this. You know, like it's been 55 years and uh, like it's still kind of riveting, even at three hours, you know, like Titanic. It's like, I guess I'm kind of confused by it because I think it is really remarkable. It's really hard to like find that those two levels of enjoyment, like for kids and adults, because I think most animated movies go for that. And honestly, I think most of them fail. I said it. I think Sing was bad. I said it. (laughs) I never saw Sing. Good. Um, Don't. don't I'm I'm looking at Stowe, Vermont. It's a few (laughs) minutes outside of Burlington where Peter Dinklage went to school. Oh. It's the only reason I know where Burlington is. 
Well, I think we should go ahead and... Yeah, we're going a little bit long. Right, let's go all ahead right. and wrap it up. Yeah, we had, um, we had a lot to say. So all, right, all in all, Sound of Music was good. We enjoyed the sound of it and the music of it. <laughs> and it was a nice palate cleanser after fucking Repo. <laughs> and before La La Land. Before... Oh, God, no. God I'm not it. saying it's coming next episode, no, right. but it's coming. It's yeah. like it's like George Washington. It's coming. It's uh, coming. It's all coming. right. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, you can find us on social media, on Twitter, at Musical Splaining with no G, at Musical Splaining with a G on Instagram. I am at Kavitarian on Twitter and at Permafriends on Instagram. Go check out some fun comics. And I'm at the Lindsay Ellis on Twitter and at NameBrandLindsay on Instagram. And I guess we will see you guys at the Zoom call again soon. <laughs> Have a good plague. Hey, plague.